You are listening to the Cattle Call Podcast. This is the place where computer-aided design and drafting meets humor and practicality, with a touch of business acumen thrown in for fun. Jim and Rocco, the owners of Zentech Consultants, the premier U.S. technology consulting firm for architecture, engineering, construction, and manufacturing, discuss the fascinating world of CAD with some humor and some honesty. The Cattle Call Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cattle Call Podcast with Jim and Rocco from Zentech Consultants. I am your eloquent and charming host, Jim, and with me, as always, is my partner. Hello, it's Rocco Parisi. Hey, look at you getting all bubbly and effusive today. It's nice. She's yeah, like talking to a rock with you in the intros. Good. See, you've been practicing. <laughs> but that's all right. I don't have to worry about how you speak today because we have a guest in studio today. We have uh, Owen Wingard here with us today. Owen, thanks for being here. Hi. I'm glad to <laughs> be on the show with you guys. Uh, it's an interesting introduction. Ah, they're always interesting. We try to keep it fun. So, and any chance I get to torture Rocco, that's always a plus. I'm <laughs> not going to let that go. So, all right. So, Owen. Uh, just for you guys who don't know him, Owen is a CAD industry veteran, and he's been active in uh, CAD and user groups and online discussion groups since the early 90s. Um, he's the president of Manusoft, which I'm sure most of you guys have heard of. It's a, uh, a consultancy and software development business based in Tampa, Florida. Uh, but these days, right, Owen spends most of his time working as a senior software engineer for BricsCAD, or Brixis, right? The makers of BricsCAD. Um, so we invited Owen here to talk to us today because we're going to get into the topic for today, which is uh, monopolistic CAD practices and their impact on the design build world. So very controversial stuff. We're going to get, we're going to get everybody upset today if we possibly can. Uh, so, you know, we invited Owen, right, because he's got some distinct ideas on consumer advocacy for those of us in the CAD and the design build uh, areas. Um, and in particular, I want to talk to him about um, the impact that that monopolistic practices can have on the design world as a whole, and the long-term effects um, that such an environment can have on both you know individuals and on companies. Right. But first, because I've been talking too much as I normally do, let's get a little info on Owen and why he thinks this is such an important topic. So, uh, Owen, why don't you tell our listeners about yourself and your background, and you know particularly as it pertains to your views on today's topic. Well, thanks for having me on. I think it's an interesting topic. Curious to see how how we uh, uh, move along on this, and if we go on any tangents. So, <laughs> tangents are starting out best with, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I'm a software developer, but I did start out as an end user, and um, you know, I never did like bullies. <laughs> Even in school, I stood up to the bigger schoolyard bullies, and. Um, I've had a number of run-ins with corporate bullies over the years, in particular with Autodesk. <laughs> Who we are definitely beating up on today. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to beat up on Autodesk. They're, they're an easy target and, uh, and I think well-deserved target. So, um, for instance, their license agreement, uh, years, been a few years since I did it, I guess three or four, maybe five years, I don't even know. but. I used to, every year uh, with the new AutoCAD release, review their license agreement changes. Mm -hmm. And I'd post uh, an article on Ralph Grabowski's Upfront e-zine highlighting any changes. And 
one of the things I used to look at is number of words. And I remember, uh, you know, guess, guess what happened every year? More <laughs> words, more words, more words, more words, more legalese, more potential. Always went up. Yeah. Um, and, oh, I don't remember the exact date. I'm guessing it was around 2005, 2004. Uh, Autodesk had filed a lawsuit against the Open Design Alliance, which was a young organization at that time, reverse engineering the DWG format, providing libraries. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I had created a website just about this lawsuit where I published legal filings and expert commentary uh, with the goal to keep Autodesk's legal maneuverings in the limelight. And uh, I wanted to make sure that they paid a price for their bullying tactics. Was okay. pretty much what everybody agreed it was. <laughs> They're good at those. Everybody agrees they are. So that actually, well, yeah, I'm not yeah. sorry to mean to cut you off. You know, go ahead. Go right ahead. No, no, I was going to say that that actually brings right into what, to my mind, right, is is the big issue, right? That that's really been uh, hitting the headlines in recent months, right? And that's that's the infamous, you know, Autodesk Revit letter. Uh, which I'm sure most of our listeners heard. I know Rocco and I have talked about it before. Um, and, you know, it, it's where a number of the world's leading architecture firms, they posted an open letter accusing Autodesk of forcing them into annual subscri subscription contracts and then failing to provide any type of reasonable, reasonable advances or upgrades or, or processes to the software for years, right? That they, you know, it, it says that they've just been putting in, you know, minor user interface changes and you know some some software fixes that should have been part of like regular patches um, and and to my mind right this is the core problem of the entire SaaS right the the software as a service model of software licensing um, and and it's an issue that like I said we've talked about on the podcast before and to my very simple mind um, it seems like it's a process that is just ripe for abuse and that it that it doesn't benefit anyone but the software developers Right, so so let's start there, Owen. What are your views on on software as a service in general, and in particular the way that Autodesk administers that licensing concept for their clients? Well, yeah, that Revit letter and its aftermath have been quite fascinating, but uh, let me just lay out my general views on software as a service. First of all, I I, I personally think it's fair to view all software as a service. I mean. You have the obvious examples of things like tax software that has to be updated every time the tax law changes. But as a programmer, I know very well that any software I write is never finished. Software always has bugs that need to be fixed, can always be optimized a bit more, can always have more features added, uh, needs to be adapted to run on new platforms and so on. It's never a finished product. And I think at least in that sense, well, okay, software is a service, and I think it's perfectly valid to, to think of it as a service. So the, the real problem, I think, is the licensing, the restrictive licensing, and especially the way Autodesk is doing it, springing new changes one after the other. Um, and, you know, these are uh, serious changes that companies have to adapt their budgeting to, uh, because of changes in costs, they've got to acquire new licenses. Uh, the kinds of things that you normally take time to adapt to and, and become acclimated to, and Autodesk is just, you know, each, each year 
change, change, change. What you planned for last year becomes irrelevant the, the following year. And um, so to my mind, it is about the licensing. And look, when a company like Autodesk has their end users so far over the barrel that they can just make these draconian changes at will, it's extortion, plain and simple. Yeah, and it's dangerous. I mean, your, your, your point's a real valid one, right? Um, I think that, you know, at its core, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think that the idea of like, uh, you know, software as a service and recurring annual subscription is inherently bad, right? It's a matter of how it's being employed right. by the company, right? I mean, you know, there, there are people out there, right? Particularly, you know, large firms who, who actually see benefit from those, you know, quote unquote, fixed budgeted annual costs. Um, and I think that the problem really lies in the lack of choice that too many developers have implemented, right? Like you said, they're over the barrel and users have to accept their annual subscription policies, no matter how horrible they may be, how much time or training they're going to have to implement because of it, or you, you lose the use of your design software. Um, like you said, it's, it's, it's almost like a form of legalized blackmail. Um, you know, and, and to my mind, the simple act of providing a choice, right, eliminates this entire issue. I, I really think if you just, if you let the users who want to get a perpetual license with a maintenance subscription have that, and then, you know, the, the people who want an annual budget amount, right, annual subscription, let them have it, right? And, and, and then you're not skirting those monopolistic and, and ethically questionable practices, Right, which which kind of leads me to my next question for you. And you work at Brixis, right? And and their Brixcad products allow users to actually choose, right? They can have either the annual license or the perpetual license, right? right so, right. What, what do you think? I mean, you work there, right? Is is that ethically driven or is it a business based decision, right? Does does Brixis see that oh. as a way to to crack Autodesk's monopoly, right, for a business standpoint, or you know, do they feel it's the right thing to do? I'm just I'm no, no pressure to talk about your bosses. Well, I, I think they. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that it's a business decision. I mean, uh, let's be honest, a company like Brixis that's trying to compete with Autodesk and other large, well-established companies, uh, they can't survive unless, unless they give customers what they want. And, well, you know as well as I do, customers want perpetual licenses. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not a question. Yeah, there are some questions, some customers who can benefit from the subscription model and they should be able to, no doubt. But but I don't believe for a minute though that Brixis would behave like Autodesk does now if the roles were suddenly reversed, simply because I know Brixis leadership views the company's relationships with uh, customers as an asset instead of a value proposition. So yeah, while the the company, of course, like all companies, they've got to uh, make their decisions based on what's best for the business. It's a it's a long-term outlook. They're, uh, the goal with uh, companies like Brixis, not only Brixis, but I know other companies that have been in business for a long time uh, who value relationships with customers. Uh, and if you take the long view that way, it changes the decision-making. So it is a business decision, but it's an ethical one and it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and I think your point is great. We're actually gonna get into that uh, a little bit later, I think in our second segment. I wanna talk about that because that mindset of you know whether or not you know, you're looking for the short-term fast profit or the long-term relationship for a, a stable business, 
that that's a, a distinct mindset that I think some, a lot of companies have gotten away from. I want to get into that more. We'll talk about that later. But for right now, I want to wake up Rocco, who I'm sure I put to sleep with my rambling. Um, so Rocco, wake up and answer a question for me. Um, in terms of our yeah, clients, you never ramble, Jim. no, I never ramble. Well, maybe a little. <laughs> my wife will tell you otherwise. <laughs> She's convinced that's all I do. Uh, so, in in terms of our clients, right? What what is their or what seems to be the prevailing opinion on you know the forced annual subscription model, right? Do we see people actively looking for a better licensing model, or or do you think that most people are okay with the Autodesk platform the way it is? Um, you know, it depends on who you're talking to within the organization, right? If it's the one paying a bill, it's a different story from the one using the tool. But, um, you know, in, in, in general, there, there certainly is a lot of frustration with, um, with, with, with Autodesk and, and, and everything that's been going on. And it's funny, if you read that letter, everything is, and you understand the industry enough, everything is right on point of what was covered there. Um, so it, it all comes down to who you're talking to, but in, in general, customers, you know, prefer more options and they certainly feel like they're, you know, like they're, they're, they're stuck, you know, um, Autodesk puts out great products um, and, and it's the industry standard for the most part, right? But they, they, they do feel like they're stuck. All right. All right. So the Autodesk model then, and, and, and let me be fair, right? It's not only Autodesk who does this, right? This, this is most large software developers, right? Microsoft does it, Adobe does it. You know, all of the big companies are doing the same thing. Um, you know, we're, we're beating up on Autodesk because this is a CAD-based podcast and they're the ones that we deal with every day, right? They're the big elephant in the room. Um, so, you know, the, the Autodesk model has an impact on, I think, you know, the number of licenses that companies need to buy as well, right? Uh, you know, right now, Autodesk is actively trying to eliminate, uh, you know, network, multi-user, and shared licensing entirely. Um, you know, though, honestly, they've gotten such heated feedback in the current environment um, that they postponed their, their, that policy change twice now. Um, you know, and, and a lot of us who are, you know, in the design world, we're dependent on multi-seat licenses, right? Particularly when we have to work remotely. So, Owen, what are your thoughts on, you know, uh, pool network licensing and, and Autodesk's approach to trying to eliminate those? Um, you know, they, they claim that it's for the user's benef benefit, right? I swear I've read their rationale like five times and I just don't <laughs> understand it. Um, but, you know, do you think that's true or is it just to the benefit of Autodesk's bottom line? Well, of course that's not true. I mean, do you know any users who benefit? Uh, no. I haven't been able to find one or even understand the explanation they give, no. Right. Um, well, you touched on it. Frankly, I don't think it's going to help Autodesk's bottom line. I really think that a lot of the strategy here is Autodesk probing to see what they can get away with. Um, it's really gathering some, some marketing information, some feedback, and they're going to take that feedback and, and make adjustments and I think they'll just as quickly back off as you mentioned. They've already delayed this several times. Uh, I mean, it can they can completely reverse this policy if they see that they're not getting the results they want. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But clearly, it's not benefiting users. Yeah, well, like I said, it goes back to like you said earlier, right? It's 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 the bully syndrome. How far can I push? How far can I push before somebody swings back? And then I back right. away. 
you know, and it's 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 <laughs> that's a terrible approach from both a, a human standpoint and a business standpoint for me. Uh, it's it's just not it's it's not a good uh, policy. But you know, Autodesk they've for for many years that's been their kind of approach to it. And well, I mean, if that's your goal, uh, to <laughs> maximize that bottom line in the short term, and uh, I, I guess that's they're they're fairly successful at it. So. So, all right, so I'd say at this point, let's take a quick break uh, to hear from today's sponsor. And then when we come back, we'll get into what Owen sees as the biggest impact of these licensing practices, not just in terms of pricing, uh, but in how they affect hiring and work practices for the entire industry. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just one minute with more of the Cattle Call Podcast. Today's Cattle Call Podcast is being brought to you by BricsCAD, the latest and greatest CAD software out there on the market today. It's growing by leaps and bounds and the beauty of it is that BricsCAD allows you to use all of your current drawing files, all of the uh, CAD commands and macros and features and list routines and customizations and configurations that you've already developed, right? Without any transition, your people can be up and running in BricsCAD in a matter of hours, right? So to help you make that transition here at Zentex, one of the things that we've done is we have actually created a Make the Move to BricsCAD program to help you move from your Autodesk-based platform over into BricsCAD with minimal time and risk and investment. And Rocco is going to tell you all about it. Rocco? I'm going to tell you all about it. Well, there's a great deal of information that's available uh, right on our website. It's zentechconsultants.net. Um, you can reach out to us at sales at zentechconsultants.net or give us a call, 866-824-4459. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the core um, idea behind it, Jim. If you're, if you're an AutoCAD user and you're looking to make the move to BricsCAD, we're, we're here to help, help make an, e an easier transition for you. So check us out. Let us know how we can help you. Perfect answer. BricsCAD, the smartest CAD system on the market today. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Cattle Call Podcast. All right, so today we are talking with our special guest, Owen Wingard of Brixis, and about the dangers of predatory software licensing practices by major software developers. Um, and in the first segment, we talk mostly about cost, right? And, and now I'd like to get into more of the, the human impact of these practices, right? It's... it's, it's really easy sometimes to just shrug things like this off under the guise of, well, you know, it's just business, right? You know, but there really is an impact, I think, to, to people's lives and companies' uh, functionality from forced subscriptions. Um, so, Owen, in, in, in terms of business growth and hiring, uh, what do you think is the, is the impact on the design industry? I mean, you know, the, the developers market the annual subscription model as being you know, beneficial to companies because they can up and downscale the license numbers to meet their workloads on the fly. Um, have you found that to actually be the case? I definitely have not. Um, I will admit that as a small developer, I probably don't have the exposure to large companies that may have different experience, but in my experience, it's mostly a false narrative as far as I can tell. Um, I mean, first of all, as long as software companies are selling these subscriptions by the year, annual subscriptions, instead of by the minute or by the hour, for example, uh, I don't see how 
a company can quickly adjust licenses. They're already committed in many cases for annual subscriptions. Um, so short-term fluctuations would be impossible to make a quick adjustments anyway in these long subscriptions. And I don't know, there might possibly be uh, some companies on shape. I don't know exactly how their uh, cost structure works, but that, that, deal with shorter by the minute, by the hour type licensing. But by and large, I think the companies are, are using the longer term subscription licenses. They s often sell shorter term subscriptions, but the pricing structure of those shorter terms are impractical, essentially forcing customers to use the longer term. And you know, the longer term subscription, it locks them in anyway. So they push them to the one or the three year. And I know that Autodesk originally did start off offering the monthlies. And I don't even know. I haven't seen it in so long. I don't even know if they do offer those anymore. Rocco, do you know? Do they still offer those? Um, I, I believe they do for some products. They were they were doing quarterlies for a while as well. I know they had quarterlies, but yeah. even the quarterlies, they were ramping up the cost. Like they, yeah. I think when they first introduced it, it was fairly cost competitive to go with a quarterly, but then they started ramping up the costs, basically squeezing customers onto the longer term right. subscriptions. And that, that has a big, big impact. So, all right. So, you know, when, when I think about, uh, you know, the way that licensing processes and fees uh, have such a big impact, right. On our, on our, our client company's profitability. Right. And I have to wonder, um, how does that licensing model affect hiring processes? Right. Um, and, and I think that that's because there's a big concern about holding recurring subscriptions that, you know, like like Owen was just saying, right, that, that they're not as likely to, to hire because, you know, they, they have to hold those licenses for at least a year. Right. So or if they do, then they prefer to work with contractors or part time employees because, you know, the the subscription model, you know, they can add the one seat for a short one term, you know, one year job if possible. Um, though, as Owen pointed out, right, it's never that easy in practice to add or remove those seats as, as the developers always want you to think. Um, there are always, you know, <laughs> fine print in all of those contracts. Um, so, you know, and, but I think, though, that that means that, that people don't get, you know, for, from a hiring standpoint, they don't get the benefits, the holidays, the time off, the sick leave. Um, and, and really what I'm, I'm afraid is winding up happening, and I'm, I'm starting to see this more and more, is that your designers and your drafters, they become almost a commodity, right? We're, we, we become kind of like red solo cups, right? We, 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 we buy them when we need them and then we throw them out once they serve their purpose. Right? And, I, and I don't know that that's a good thing for us as a nation or as an industry. Um, so Owen, from, from a human standpoint, right? Do, do you see this being a negative for individuals in the industry as a whole or am I just being my usual paranoid self? Well, I don't know. I, I would, I guess I would defer a little bit and and kind of take a wait and see attitude. Um, it clearly is having an impact, but how will that impact shake out? Will it be a, a net positive, net negative? I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say wait and see, but um, I, I would like to just tell you a big, a little bit of a story. This is a little bit different perspective. This is from the, the uh, perspective of a software developer, an independent software developer. Um, you know, many years ago, uh, I was a member of Autodesk Developer Network. And one of the benefits of membership in this uh, developer network was I had uh, 
access to pre-release versions of AutoCAD and NFR, not for resale licenses, that I could use for my development work. Uh, meaning I didn't have to shell out at that time almost $3,000 each year for an AutoCAD license in order to, do, to develop my software, which was huge. Um, but I had a run-in with Autodesk and got booted off the developer network and ended up having to start buying the AutoCAD license, a commercial license, every year in order to continue developing my software. Now, the moral of the story there is how did that affect my hiring practices? Well, it added, of course, more costs. Uh, it it made it basically impossible for me to hire anybody to help me with my development work because the restrictions on the license meant if I hire one person and now two of us are using that same AutoCAD, even if it was just, let's say, for technical support for, for my software, uh, I would have to buy two licenses, two commercial licenses of AutoCAD, $6,000, not practical. Um, so it's just a, a, a point, making the point there that the license cost and license terms definitely impact a small company. Um, now, I don't know, maybe, maybe things would be different now for that scenario if I had access to small short-term subscriptions and maybe that would have been a benefit for me. I'm not sure. And it, it just kind of raises the point that, I don't know, I think things will shake out eventually. We're going through a, a period now when we've got a large company trying to get their way. But at some point, I think there will be some pushback. I think we'll reach some equilibrium, maybe even find some, some ways that we do see actual benefits to end users and to employees of, of these larger companies. I just think we have to wait and see. Okay, that, that's a fair assessment. Um... <clears throat> I, I tend to be a little bit more pessimistic on this, though. Um, so, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up my inner conspiracist for a minute, right? And I'm gonna posit that that you know these types of licensing practices benefit obviously nobody but the software developer, right? And and it, it hurts I think not just individual workers and the companies that they work for, but really taking it further, you know, the nation and the world as a whole, right? So again, here's my conspiracy theory, right? So. So the problem that we have here, I think, is that you're dealing with short-term profit-seeking C-level shareholders, right? Those C-suite purple, or people rather, not purple. Those people in a firm, right, you know, are the ones who see the real benefit, right? These practices don't even help the general shareholder, right? Because what you wind up doing is diluting the product and alienating your client base, Right? So it goes back to what we were talking about in the first segment, right? Is it's, it's so long-term investors actually wind up losing money and share value, right? While, you know, the, those C-level staff, right? Their compensation is tied to share, pro, share price, right? Their, their, their pay, their benefits, their bonuses, all tied to share price. And the instant increase of share value at any cost is the only driving force that they have, right? And I think that that's what leads to the devaluation and, and collapse of, of long-standing institutional firms, like we saw it with Sears and we saw it with Toys R Us, right? That, that were once cornerstones of our economy, right? And I, and I see software developers 
going that same way, right? What was once upon a time a bunch of you know designers and engineers who had a great idea and hired some coders like yourself, and we and we were all working towards a common goal to get great products for the for for each other. I think control has been ceded over to professional board members who have zero interest in their clients or in improving their product. And and I think that spells long-term disaster, right, to the company, to my mind. So, you know, Owen, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you, do you think that those business practices have a negative effect on the economy and the nation, right? Or, or am I just, again, being crazy and, and paranoid? Well, I think you're absolutely right, Jim. Uh well, Jared, I rock with someone you, thinks I'm right. You, you may be crazy as well. Uh, yeah, I'm that's true. Sure. One doesn't preclude the other. Fair point. <laughs> Who isn't crazy these days with all this uh, COVID-19 pandemic going on? And, you know, that the pandemic has already had a dramatic effect on the economy, and it's not done yet. Um, I think you raised some excellent points about the adverse incentives that uh, – that caused these kinds of, well, what I would say, irrational decisions. Um, I mean, they're at least irrational from our perspective. Obviously, they have good reasons, but uh, but as I said, it's there are these adverse incentives that are driving these kinds of things. And um, well, you spelled it out well. So, well, I've seen uh, the effects of this pandemic has been people working from home and and it's it's changed things a lot of predictions about well it's going to have permanent impacts uh, but i also think it's important to keep things in perspective and just like with the pandemic with the changes in licensing practices going on in the industry um, i i do think it's important to keep things in perspective uh, we're in the middle of this right now. Everything's exaggerated, feels more imp impactful than it really is. And I would venture to guess that in 20 years, by the year 2040, 2020 will be a mostly forgotten blip on our timeline. And, uh, well, we can hope at least that predatory licensing practices will have come and gone. Uh, maybe we'll have something even worse. I don't know, but it could be better. Um, Rocco, let me ask you then. Um, in, in terms of our, our client base, right? What have you seen any any big change with this licensing structure in their hiring practices? Um, you know, have we seen more growth in like temp employees and short term license purchases, or do we find that most people are still looking to hire full time workers with you know long term licensing seat purchases? What do you see? Yeah, it, it's still long term, you know, to, to work with folks short term, there's there's so many, there's so much up to up, and how do I describe it, there's, there's so much um, time that's involved in ramping people up from getting them accustomed to, to the employees, the culture of a company, to, to the licensing and, and, and the way that they work and, you know, who's going to work out, who's not going to work out. So I still think that long-term people look for, for loyal, dedicated employees and, and, and that's what they want in the licensing model that they buy. Um, I, I think that it's, it's important to be able to have a, a long-term long affordable um, solution to their, to their business needs, not, not short-term expensive um, options. And, and don't, I mean, companies want stability. They, they want to know, 
what it's going to cost in two and three and four and five years. Uh, uh, and I also, I think it's worth uh, interjecting here that remember, I don't know, was it might've been in the late nineties already. I, I don't remember if it was that early, but there was a period of time when before the dot-com or maybe during the dot-com bubble, when companies were farming out, uh, hiring contract workers in, in Asia and India. And, you know, they, we went kind of through a phase of that, but uh, now we've started to revert back in the last 10 years, I think where companies are again, recognizing it's important to have relationships, one-on-one -on -one personal relationships with their employees and, and, you know, have training and work together in, in teams where you have personal contact with each other, that these are important things to have. And, uh, and I, I think that's an example of how these things tend to, the, the pendulum swings back, you know, it, it tends to reach some equilibrium again. And I just think right now the pendulum is swinging out, but it's going to, it's going to uh, revert back a little bit, I think. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. I think you know, it's the benefit of a, of a free market, right? It's it's the true cause. It's it's the great self leveler. It fixes itself, right? Well, we certainly like to think so, and we hope so. We hope so. We hope so. <laughs> um, all right. So with that in mind, then, oh, before we 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 leave it here today, um, I want to give you one one last chance here to to get into any f aspect of this topic that I haven't considered. Um, anything, what, what do you think our listeners need to know about the, the monopolistic CAD software practices that I overlooked? Unleash your, your inner libertarian and give us some food for thought. Ah, great. Well, I, I, I touched on it briefly, but one of the things I think that often gets overlooked is that CAD consumers and users actually do have some power to fight back. The Revit letter is a small example it shows how the power can be amplified and used in this case the revit letter it generated some bad publicity and uh, bad publicity is a real damage to a company like autodesk uh, but i think it's in at least in the case of the letter here it's not sustained it's a it's a one-time thing you know autodesk rolls out the pr people and um and that's fine but if if consumers can find a way to sustain that kind of pressure on a company, I think they can really push back effectively. And that's what you have to do, I think, to a bully. Um, uh, so for example, I, I would like to see, and I think the key to real change in this, this uh, especially with the licensing and the legal, uh, but also in other, aspects of the, the relationship with the software providers is to marshal the power of users. I mean, look at a company like Autodesk, they have, well, it depends who you ask, but potentially millions of users, probably at least hundreds of thousands. Um, and you know, if, if those users could make a sustained and credible threat to Autodesk's bottom line, Autodesk will respond. Uh, so I, I've years ago, I advocated, was active for a while in the uh, Autodesk user group, Augie. And so they're, they're not related to Autodesk yeah. any longer. Well, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's 
at one time was, I think 90% of their uh, costs were paid by Autodesk. So Autodesk controlled the group. And now over time, Autodesk has voluntarily withdrawn support. So now they're branching out, I think. But, but years ago, I had advocated to, to Augie um, to try to establish some kind of, at the time I remember referring to it like a, a, a union of users and, and try to marshal forces and, and go to Autodesk and say, look, we demand to negotiate some changes in your license agreement and as a collective as a collective bargaining unit. Like that idea a lot, right? Work, workers of the world unite, right? I love it. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, of course, at the time, people said, well, yeah, it sounds interesting, but you know, doing something like that requires a real, uh, a, a real leadership position in a, in a large group and, and to have the power to actually get something done. And I suppose it could happen. Uh, maybe it will in in this in the near future. But one of the things I realized at the time was that in order for that to be effective, there has to be first a viable alternative. Um, and you know, Autodesk knows this as well. They've been through, uh, for instance, with Revit by organizing government units to require Revit format drawing files, they effectively get some control over the, the file format. And they've controlled that file format. Things might change um, now that ODA is reverse engineering the Revit file format. But with those kinds of practices, as long as Autodesk has a monopoly uh, and users are captive, you, 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 I mean, it's empty threats to go and say, look, change your license agreement or else because what, there is, there is nothing, nothing else. Right. And that's where I think, you know, systems like, and that, that's why, you know, we, we, we work with BricsCAD and obviously you're with Brixis, um, because I think we need viable alternatives. I think you've, you've, you've pinpointed the, the ultimate problem until you can start to break the monopoly and, and effectively bring in, you know, better products at a fair price with, you know, reasonable, uh, business approaches. Right? You just kind of kind of have to stay there, right? And I know it's a little scary for folks, but you, you know, I'm not trying to do a sales pitch here today, but you know, think about and look at other products and consider making that move to kind of get yourself out from under. Because until a bunch of us get out from under the thumb of those oppressive software developers, nobody's getting out, right? Somebody's got to squeak out first. Somebody's got to take the risk and lead the way. So. Well, let me, let me uh, interject you there. Jim, and uh, let's just think about what happens when you boil a pot of water and then throw a frog into it. You know, you've, you know where I'm going with this. You throw a frog into the boiling pot of water, it jumps out. But if you put the frog into the cold water and then boil it, you'll boil it right to death. And, you know, AutoCAD users are being boiled to death right now. Yeah, because Autodesk is smart enough to give it the slow heat and not the sudden slap. Right. right. And, and so I, I really think, and, and this would be my libertarian dream, is that if we could create a viable alternative platform, and I think BricsCAD is that viable alternative platform right now, I think it, it already exists. Um, if AutoCAD users can see that they have a, a viable platform, 
Uh, I think they can use that. Of course, they can change platforms, but it also can be used as a bargaining chip, and it gives them power. Um, so that would be my my dream to see users use that power that they have, uh, organize it, band together, and push back. And that would be the free market at work. Give both sides equal power. Uh, find something that works for both, and uh, and that would be the ideal, I think. Yeah, that's perfect. I agree with that 100%. I, I like that. Good answer. All right. So I think that that covers uh, our topic for today. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. But I want to thank Owen for being here today. And I hope that, uh, Owen, we didn't frighten you. You'll agree to come back again, right, D despite being exposed to my personal paranoia. I, I am a little bit frightened, I have to admit, but I'll I'll keep this on in mind. I might might be able to come over my uh, get over my my uh, fright here. I appreciate that. Rocco never has. Rocco just constantly lives in fear, going, "Oh, how did I get tied up with this idiot?" Well, that's all right. So my wife says too. It's all good. All right. So with that, folks, I think we can get out of here. Thank you all for listening, and we will Thank catch you. you next time on the. Cattle Call Podcast. All right, everybody. Today's Cattle Call was brought to you courtesy of Zentech Consultants. That's Rocco and I. Uh, Zentech Consultants works with design and manufacturing firms to help our clients purchase and implement the software that they need in these complex industries. Uh, we provide a single point of contact for clients to buy, develop, and learn the most vital software systems for your specific needs. Uh, Zentech strives to be your trusted technology partner from your initial needs all the way through long-term support and training for your entire staff. So Rocco, why don't you tell them how to reach out to Zentech? All right, yeah, you can reach out to us through zentechconsultants.net. You can email us at sales at zentechconsultants.net. Or you could even call us, 866-824-4459. Excellent. We look forward to hearing from you all.